I went into this podcast with bad intentions. Excited about an expression that I've been dying to mention. I'll say it, whatever. Boner forever, boner forever. Yes, boner forever. Now keep it together. To some, those words are obscene, perhaps seemingly meaningless. Now I think it's the work of some hilarious geniuses. A historic landmark has been tainted for laughs, and I made this podcast to make sure those laughs last. Soon, you'll understand these two words better. Boner forever. Boner forever. I feel as if the niche for this episode may be even smaller than the niche for the Foam Finger episode. However, some ideas are meant to be followed, and humor me here. Let me talk for a few minutes about Boner Forever. For those of you who are in 2100, or perhaps 2025, or perhaps 2019, but don't frequently drive past the 3700 block of North Broad Street in Philadelphia, allow me to explain. As you drive down Broad Street, which is the primary vessel going straight through Philadelphia, there's a massive building, abandoned, worn down, and an eyesore, to be frank. Then, you peer up a few stories to see the words, Boner Forever, displayed vertically down the side of a building in big block letters. You think to yourself, hmm, that's odd. Did I actually see what I just saw? And for no reason, no logical, real reason, you look back at the other side of the building as your car passes. And the same letters in reverse order are cascading down the opposite side. Forever boner. I assume the majority of folks see that and move on with their day. But I also know that there's a second group of people who are utterly fascinated with boner forever. To me... 
It's one of my favorite things about living in Philadelphia, and I find it absolutely hysterical, which is why I'm making this episode, to make the phrase, boner forever, last. Now bear with me, people of 2019, because I need to be conscious of the intended listeners of the future, and I don't want them to not understand this episode because of a sloppy mistake I made, because I forgot to mention something. So, be there with me. Throughout time, the male genitalia has been called many things. In the 1300s, the word bollocks came about. A century later, jewels and bollock stones. In 16th century, we were given terms like giblets and prick. But as technology and science grew faster and stronger, we noticed that the male genitalia can take many forms and be used for many purposes. Therefore, the distinction between a flaccid and erect penis became more common to speak about, especially as people became more liberal and media outlets got stronger, encouraging the creation of slang terms. Unfortunately, no linguist has kept up with the terminology for the penis in any true academic sense, only hack blogs and untrustworthy articles. Alas, the word boner is a slang term used to reference the erect penis in 2019. In all honesty, I would say it is one of the two most popular ways to refer to an erect penis, other than using the word hard as a describer. I understand that by the year 2100, there's very much a possibility that the word boner may be obsolete, because that is how time works. Slang renews, and boner is already losing its zest. Let's be honest, people. Boner <laughs> boner is losing its zest and becoming – it's more of a corny word. Like you, you call someone like a boner. You're a dumb guy. And it's not used in any sexual or like uh, – if you're using the word boner in bed. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> they say a good joke never needs to be explained. But boner forever is funny for many reasons. One – Vandalism is cool. Writing inappropriate things where they do not belong is inherently funny. Two, it's harmless. The words boner forever are not curse words. I believe this is a key factor on why it hasn't been painted over. And three, erectile dysfunction. Some men have a very difficult time getting erections, which can make life hell. And I like to imagine a man with erectile dysfunction driving down Broad Street with his new Viagra prescription and looking up and seeing the words boner forever. And he simply raises his fist in silence with a single tear dropping down his face, thinking two words to himself, boner forever. (laughs) All right. I've leaned into the penis jokes as much as humanly possible for the first seven minutes of this thing. So now we're going to move on to the more serious side of Boner Forever. Today's guest is Maria Sauerbeer. Maria Sauerbeer is the Vice President of Development for Shift Capital, which is the company that owns the Boner Forever building. I made sure to front load this episode with boner humor because my talk with Maria is mostly about real estate, gentrification, and the changing face of Philadelphia. Admittedly, I'm always wary of companies, executives, and anyone looking to make a profit, but... Maria Sauerbeer made it seem like Shift Capital was the real deal. The audio for this interview is very echoey. Our recorder broke before the interview, and we had to make do with what we had. My friend Jack Barron is sitting in on this interview, and we'll be asking questions towards the end once I say something stupid. I'll catch up with you guys at the end of the episode. Let's learn about the Boner Forever building. Yo, this 
there we go. All right, so for, uh, I would just like for you to introduce yourself. Um, sure. If you could tell me your name, where you're from, uh, sure. what you do here, what here is. Uh, just uh, explain this to someone who's not in the room. Sure. Uh, my name is Maria Sauerbeer. I am Vice President of Development for Shift Capital. Um, Shift Capital is a for-profit, mission-based real estate developer. So what that means is that we're uh, developing real estate, but really using real estate as a tool to improve communities. And right now, we're focusing on Kensington and Tioga. Mm -hmm. So the Bury Building is in Tioga. And the idea is that if you put all of your energy and all the equity that you have in one neighborhood, maybe you can actually move the needle. So there's a lot of development sort of that happens here and happens there and in mm -hmm. isolated spots. But the concept behind what we're doing is to concentrate some of that um, enough so that maybe you're making an impact. Are you basing it with Shift Capital? Because I want to uh -huh. talk about you. Yeah, I want to yeah. talk a little bit about Shift Capital and talk sure. a little bit about Philadelphia. Is the Shift Capital model based off any other city? Is there any like proven track record of success? Philly, this is the flagship this experiment. Is where it's yeah, because I noticed, I was looking into here, guys, company, Shift Capital. The thing I wrote about Shift Capital and that uh, had to get brought up. I didn't think it would get brought up as soon as we started talking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, wrote, I, I just wrote down in quotations, minimize the negative impacts of gentrification. That's in the uh, yeah. mission statement. But yeah. you guys are actually doing that, and you guys believe that. It is not corporate um, yeah, jargon. Yeah, I think... Um... As real estate developers, this is like a different take, you know, it's not what a typical developer and we yes. are really um, innovative, I like to say, yeah. and and um, creative group that is dedicated to the impact side of it. And as far as gentrification goes, I think you can't avoid like Kensington, for example, is along the trajectory. Fury building, it's moving that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you looked at lower North Broad Street five or ten students. years ago, yeah, where Temple is, where the Divine Lorraine is, those areas were not somewhere uh, where leaseholders wanted to be. You didn't get credit tenants mm -hmm. that low, that far south, yeah. that close to City Hall. Um, I mean, certainly around City Hall, but the North Broad Street wasn't getting that, but it's coming that way, right? Yes. And so if you can intervene at a stage where gentrification isn't happening yet, then there's like a low basis of cost. You can buy um, a significant amount or important locations mm -hmm. and um, sort of be a step ahead of the gentrification. Because people always say, oh, this neighborhood is gentrified if we had only done X, Y, Z. It's because people you know. just learned the word. It's, it, just <laughs> entered the, it just entered the air and then people grabbed onto it. It's one of those words that people are like, I and like I think people word. use it as a dirty word, like it's a bad word. They'll say it about a nice vase. They'll call, I've heard, uh, I refer, I work at a restaurant uh, on my side I, on Wednesday. I work full-time as a writer, and then on Wednesdays I serve breakfast in Point Breeze, the Point okay. Breeze area. Sure, I'm a, I live in South Philly. At um, a place that, I like it, it pays my bills, everyone's mm. been nothing but nice to me, but when people ask, I, I explain it, I say we sell gentrified eggs. <laughs> and it's the it's the genuine truth. We were at uh, JJ's down here on Kensington. Yep. yep. I got two eggs, uh, bacon, toast, hash browns, and a coffee for three ninety nine. Yeah, you're not getting that Point Breeze. At Point Breeze at the place I work, that is something that we call an American breakfast, uh -huh. which cost I believe nine dollars. And then on top of that, a cup of coffee would be three fifty. 
and you're expected to tip me. That's right. an $18 meal if you come to my restaurant. Right. Here in Kensington, I tipped, it, it was 14 because I, the waitress was nice and I, yeah, I yeah, wanted yeah. to be kind, but, right. and I even bought you something. I was like, get anything. <laughs> I bought, I bought, I, I, I'm not, I don't have the money to be buying The overhead stuff. is different, you know. Like Everything this, is so right. different and for real, real estate's one of those things that I don't come from that world. Right. I come in here completely blind. I don't come right. in here pretending I know a ton about real estate. Mm -hmm. But real estate's one of those things that when it is done correctly, no it sounds like you guys are at least putting thought into how you're doing it. Mm -hmm. It seems like in the past, people were just like, buy low, sell high, whatever happens, happens. Right. And I'm happy to see that you guys are doing this. Yeah. For a few reasons. One, it's very strategic and intelligent. Because you can't, the evil corporation thing is not going to fly much longer, which, which um, 2,100. That, so we're talking about the future here. Sure. Um, that's why I want to bring this up. The idea of companies leaving the public behind is something that I believe is going to go by the wayside. You're seeing it more and more in society with people boycotting. I haven't. I don't drink Nestle products. I don't eat Nestle products. Well, I don't purchase Nestle products. If, if you have it, I'm not going to bring it up and be like, uh, I don't use that creamer. But if you, <laughs> I, I don't give them my dollar. I'll, okay. I'll use coffee, mate. Um, but that's how people. This the NFL with the Colin Kaepernick situation. People do not want to support businesses that are destroying them. And over time, my, one of my long-term predictions is that corporate greed is going to die this hundred years. I think, I think that it is one of the things that is unsustainable. Uh -huh. Because if you look at corporate greed on a smaller scale, like small scale, like just a company eating up all of a, of a community's resources, that's a small scale. But then if you look at it on a global scale, Look at countries and how they interact on a global basis. So that's one of the reasons why I was very happy to see that that was a part of your guys' like mission this early, stated out front, because you've said it so early that you can't go back on it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's part of what we're doing. And I think that what I started to say was gentrification is used as this ugly term but pieces of it are what people want, right? You don't want blighted streets. You don't want crime. You don't mm -hmm. want trash rolling around, the, you know, yeah. like blowing in the wind. So you want beautification and safety and growth. Mm -hmm. You don't want vacancy and blight. But the problem with gentrification is the marginalization of the people who are already there. Like mm -hmm. invariably, when you bring in occupancy and safety and better buildings, the people who once could afford to be there are marginalized and they can't be there anymore. And yeah. so a piece of what we're doing is saying, well, let's have a significant stake in this community. And and so as the wave is coming, we can say, well, there's a foothold for people who were always there. And what we're doing is thinking about residential, commercial, and industrial buildings. So you have, you know, your job creators, people can work in this neighborhood. Yeah. This building was once vacant and for decades vacant yeah. or majority vacant. Oh, there was always like a user, mm -hmm. but it was underutilized, right? Whereas mm -hmm. now, as actually as of this week, we're 100% occupied here there with businesses. Go. So what we did, we came in, there wasn't going to be one user anymore. We, you know, Coca-Cola mm -hmm. wasn't coming in and using this whole building. Yeah. But we broke it into smaller spaces for businesses to come in, not loft-style residential, um, but businesses that were going to create jobs for neighborhood people. And then we have housing nearby, and so ideally if you're working here, you want to live here, and it increases the vibrancy, foot traffic, and safety in the neighborhood. If you live here and you work here, I do, maybe you want to shop here, right? And mm -hmm. so your commercial, commercial corridor is trickled uh, uh, 
into into prosperity, right? Mm-hmm. And that is all related to real estate. So those are the asset classes within we within which we're working, right? Uh, residential, commercial, mm-hmm. and industrial. And so the residential piece isn't um, particularly lucrative, but it's important to the story. It's important to the trajectory, right? Yeah. And it and changes so, how you're viewed. It changes how people feel about you. It changes everything. Yeah. Because I've seen how mad. I'm not going to bring up another realty company's name. Sure. <laughs> Just because I don't want to get you in deep water, but there is a prominent real estate company in this city that people are turning their backs on. I see picketed people picketing outside of their buildings, and I see out of outside of their coffee shops as well. Right. Sure, um, I know what neighborhood you're in, so yeah. I know who you're talking about. And, but not just they; oh, okay. they're everywhere. I I used yeah, to sure. love them. I like their one location. I didn't know what they were doing, but yeah. then it turns out their business is pretty brilliant if you consider it. Um, but it. It is something, there's going to be pushback. And to avoid the pushback and to avoid hurting other people's lives is important. Yep. What, as far as implementation for people in the neighborhood, um, like, do you have any concrete plans in place already? Yeah, I mean, we do. We, we try to partner on everything we do with the two local nonprofits that are here. So there's uh, Impact Services and NKCDC, within the, which is North Kensington CDC, and that's here in Kensington. Over in the Bury area, Bury's in a really interesting location. So it like yeah. borders multiple census tracts, mm-hmm. and it borders multiple um, area representative. Uh, yes. neighborhoods. So like you have the Nice Town Tioga Community Development Corporation and you have what's called called to serve and there's North Broad Renaissance and mm-hmm. there's the neighborhood knack and so these things all kind of are butt up at the Bury. And so there's a lot of voices in everything we do um, in that area. Um, and that's important to us. So finding the right partnerships and allowing them to be the conduit for local voices is important and informative for everything that mm-hmm. we're doing. Here in Kensington, um, there's less eyes on the project. It's not on Broad Street and it's not as um, prominent. prominent. And so we have moved faster, I think, in yeah. our acquisition. So we have almost 2 million square feet of property in the Kensington area, mm-hmm. whereas the strategy in the Tioga area is different. Like the Bury is the anchor. It's at the corner of Broad Germantown and Erie, which according to SEPTA is the second busiest location um, mm-hmm. in the city of Philadelphia. So tons of foot traffic. They're saying that about 25,000 people move through that intersection a day. Um, so that's different than anything we have in Kensington, right? So the Bury alone can move the needle there. Um, we, in addition, own the balance of the block minus the barbershop. There's a little barbershop there we don't own. He's very friendly. We talk to him often, but he doesn't want to sell. Um, but so developing the 3700 block of North Broad Street could really change um, the feeling of what's happening at that intersection where there's already a ton of traffic, a ton of people moving through. You have Temple Hospital and Shriners a block away. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're 37, 36 is between us, and they're the 3500 block. And across the street, you have Temple Graduate School. So mm-hmm. all the medical students are there. So if they're, you know, you're creating a link between these two major hubs in addition to the traffic that you have moving through there, and you're changing the face of what is North Philadelphia. So take us back 100 years before now, almost 100 before, years before now. Mm-hmm. That building was built in uh, 1926, yes. right? Right before that building was built, the subway was, the North Broad line of the Mm -hmm. subway was completed, and the fabric of the residential um, 
pipeline in that area was completed. Mm -hmm. So it was a really like sort of nascent time when um, expectations were high and they were building a conduit between Center City and North Broad and North Broad was a hub, right? Mm -hmm. So you had um, the subway and the residential and this beautiful building going up that was like at the height of the Art Deco period of its time. It was built by an architect that was following um, was his name? Louis Sullivan is sort mm -hmm. of a famous architect. Oh, and I have the architect's he name. Oh, yeah, William Lee. Harold Lee. Yeah, William yeah, Harold Lee. Yeah. He, but he was following in a tradition of Louis Sullivan, who was like a really famous sort of prominent architect. And, and things were going well, and, and it was an exciting time mm -hmm. for North Broad Street. And that's when it was built. It, um, the president, Bury, the mm -hmm. guy, Bury. Temple. Yes, he was the second president of mm -hmm. Temple, and he, I think, was... I think he stuck around Temple for maybe 15 years, but he was a... There's a Gary Hall. He was a community leader, right? And so there was a time when it was booming, that area. And the crash happened in 1929, so there was this very mm -hmm. short window like between that, when they opened and when the crash happened, and it didn't maintain occupancy beyond that. But the face of North Philly changed after that, yeah. right? And so now is an opportunity and a poised time where that will have a reemergence, right? Like, yeah, I think the, the aesthetic even, if you look at uh, Broad Street as a whole, that building oh, is absolutely. the mark. It is that building and then there is like just on eyeline. Yeah. There's that building and then there's nothing and then there's Morgan Hall at Temple. It's not graffitied forever boner for none. reason <laughs> at all, right? Well, it is like this tower. Yeah, it's of, huge. It's the people at Shriners always comment on because when they have their meetings with people from out of town, Shriners is also fairly mm -hmm. tall. And when they have their um, meetings in their conference room, it faces Bury. And people from out of town are like faced with that graffiti and oh they don't God. understand. But it is. It's really prominent. You can't miss it. And when you're in the building, it sort of slopes up Broad Street. Mm -hmm. So when you're in the building on the top story looking out, you, um, you seem like you're on par with the Comcast building. When you look out the window, you like, yeah. That's how you feel a little bit at Morgan. It's, it, there's nothing around. Yeah. It, there's no more, I don't know what they call it. Uh, I don't know what, I, I don't even think there's a term. There's no more, there's no one else up there. Right. Well, the sky rights aren't, you know, the sky isn't built to that height. Yes. Especially with the altitude because of, because Broad, Broad Street broke, slants up. Okay. Um, um, getting specifically to the Bury building. Sure. Uh, 2012, Shift Capital. Were you were you with them then when they bought this building? I was not. I joined uh, about a little over three years ago. Do you know why specifically they bought that building? Was there a bidding war? Was it an auction? No, or did they I don't just know have their tons eye of the on details, it? but I know um, a friend owned it at the time, like a friend to Shift Capital, mm -hmm. and Emar, uh, I think his name. I mean, his name is Emar, mm -hmm. and he owned it and wasn't able to get it off the ground. It's a, it's a very complicated it's a very project. project. It's it's a difficult building because it is so tall and skinny. Every floor plate is fairly small, but yet it's really expensive to run all your utilities, your, your heating and your cooling needs to all get up to the roof. Mm -hmm. And so you have a small number of units per floor with a high cost associated with them. So like getting it to work, it's on the National Registry, so there are historical yeah, requirements. Yeah, I did see that. It's on the National Register of Historical Places. Do you right. know why it is on that? Um, like what qualifies it? You apply, you apply, and oh, okay. you apply to be on it, or someone else applies for you. So sometimes you're excited to get on it, and other times you when, didn't want to be on it. When do um, you think that they did that? Um, I, have I think to since look the that. '80s, it's been on the National Register. Oh, okay. I'm not 100 percent sure. About I was going to look because if 
if some genius prankster, the person who wrote it, do you, how much do you know about the Boner Forever? I know a little bit, and really, I, I know that they're two different people. Boner and Forever are two artists, and from what I understand, they like coordinated to do that together. And I could be off on that. This but is that's fun. The, we that's are, what we are I interested to, to hear the take. <laughs> and for for those of you who may not know what we're talking about, um, right? This, this is <laughs> they're on Broad Street, which is the essentially the the vein that runs through the city of Philadelphia. It is the most prominent street, other than I ninety five, like other than seventy six. Right, it's a state highway six eleven. It's yeah. the major north south thoroughfare in Philadelphia. The, for for very many miles, there are no large buildings, and then you pull up to about the thirty seven hundred block uh-huh. of North Broad, right before you get to Temple University, and it's a fourteen story building with. Um, down the side, down one side, it says Boner Forever, and on the other side, it says Forever Boner, in letters that must be the size of... But they're like, each letter is probably 10 feet high, Yeah, it's a, maybe. 10, like, 10 yeah. foot high letters. Not The artistry isn't particularly good. No, because I think they probably hung out the window. We were talking about it the other day, right? So they probably weren't, <laughs> like... Well, they professionals, have, yeah. right? So they weren't like hoisted from the ceiling, from the roof, and yeah, they had to be leaning in. out of the window. I think they were using ra- uh, rollers on on extensions and <laughs> leaning out the window. That's what I think because I, you know, like, they, it's not like they had wore window washers and had equipment to scaffold the mm-hmm. building, right? They're hanging out the window there for sure. Well, did you ninety nine percent sure? <laughs> I never. So they're not like beautiful, but they're they very not. clear. There is no, there is no artistry. No, they are artists in the most pure sense of the way because they have reached millions of people yeah and they have made an impact so much so that i care a lot of people care yeah um we joke all the time that the historic registry is going to that's what i require us to keep the graffiti because it's been there so long i was thinking that maybe some hysterical prank maybe the boner forever people were the people that got it on the registry but um that's amazing did you know that there's people um on the internet who are talking they there's the theories there are, about there are other Forever theories Boner. about Forever Boner. One goes as far as to say a politician who... Um, no, they're out there. They're like pretty open. The two graffiti artists. Like, yes, the Boner. <laughs> the Boner guy. Yes. Yeah. He, I found articles on him. I didn't, I've never heard of the Forever. The other guy? Uh, but, uh, but I've also seen the Boner other places. Yeah, I've seen yeah, Boner yeah, yeah. on train cars. I've seen... We should also not neglect Liverneck. What is that? Liverneck is another graffiti artist that's on the building. Not nearly as big, but um, numerous. He beats anyone out for how many Livernecks are on the building. Like, I went on the roof, and on, he's on the roof. I went in the sub-basement where there's bank vaults that I had never been in, and I, I'm there every week, and he's he was there. He has tagged every floor multiple times, every nook and cranny of that building. It's Liverneck, if this ever gets back to you... <laughs> I want to meet Livernack. I'm totally interested in him. This might be this might be the highest honor a graffiti artist ever gets is recognition from the new owners of the building he vandalized. He's been everywhere. That's awesome. That... It's impressive because to get the building is, I, I mean, it's in disrepair, right? So to get into the sub basement and into those vaults, up on the roof, I mean, the roof is not easily accessible. I didn't, I didn't think like, it was. Like the roof of the main building is different than the roof of just the like penthouse. So initially the building was just the skinny fourteen stories. And then later they added that 
bigger mm -hmm. piece. But that taller piece to get on the roof, it's not flat, it's inclined. You have to go up multiple ladders, like there's no stair that gets there. It's like, he was brave <laughs> and, and, and determined. For no money. <laughs> To make right, yeah, you know, it, it is it is impressive. Yeah, dangerous. I mean, I'm, I hope he's fine. <laughs> okay. So now I want to talk to, about you a little. Bit. Oh, sure. What got you to shift capital? What, how did you get in this route? Sure. And um, yeah, okay, I'll keep it. I'll keep it light. Keep it so simple for now. I am an architect by degree and okay. certification. Uh, where'd you go to school? New Jersey Institute of Technology, undergrad at Rutgers. Okay. And so I'm from New Jersey. My family is from Philly, and my parents moved to New Jersey um, in a suburb of Philadelphia, Marlton. And mm -hmm. so I had been practicing architecture in New York for many years and was actually transitioning to San Francisco. And I came back to Philly just to house sit my aunt's home. Mm -hmm. um, and I it was 2008, the recession hit, and the job fell through in San Francisco. And in the few months I was here, I was like, wow, I love Philadelphia. It was mm -hmm. so um, special, one, to be in the ancestral home. Like, I would, mm -hmm. I'm the fourth generation now to own that home. Okay. I bought it from my aunt. Um, and I just found Philly to be very approachable in a way New York wasn't. So I only knew Philly as a child. That is um, very accurate And I loved New York. But in my mind, Philly and New York were like two big cities and they were very similar. But when I moved to Philly as an adult, I was like, wow, no, Philly is a much smaller town. It's much um, more approachable. You know, once you meet someone, you'll run into them again. Mm -hmm. And it's not as massive as, yeah. as New York. And that has its pros and cons, but I did fall in love with it. And it just seemed like the kind of city where you can actually have an original idea. Like in New York, I felt like no matter what you thought of, you could find 10 other people already doing it. And there was a club on Wednesdays that you could attend. Uh, right? That's actually so true. <laughs> Whereas in Philly, you could be an entrepreneur. You could have, you, you could bring something to the table. So I was very excited by Philadelphia. Um, and so I moved here in 2008. And my background was architecture mm -hmm. at the time. I've always had a community bent to what I do. My first job was with Maya Lin, who is famous for the Vietnam Veterans Memorial oh, in D.C. Okay. And she always went about design and architecture. Well, you were an architecture that worked with Maya Lin. I did, yes. So that's, that's, that's not small She's potatoes. She's fantastic, yeah. That's not small potatoes at all. No. Wow, that's awesome. No. That's incredible. Um, and then I was a Peace Corps volunteer after that. And so I always had the design I did and the work I did always had sort of a community. These are the people we need in real estate. Peace Corps. <laughs> Brian was the founder, was a Peace Corps volunteer. See? That, this is so much more refreshing. I was worried, because, no offense, you know <laughs> you know what people think of real estate. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And I didn't know what I was coming into. Um, Michael had asked a lot about a, a lot of paperwork, and I don't have paperwork. So I thought you guys would be very official and very uh, not the way. You guys are very official. This is a beautiful building. Thank you. You guys seem like you're doing good We're work. We're trying to do it right. So, yeah, we want to be as official and legit as we can be. But Why can't everyone <laughs> be trying to do it right? You can. I mean, like, I think when Brian founded the business, he debated the nonprofit route, right? Because mm -hmm. he did have a really strong community goal. But... The, it's hard to make have capital. You can accomplish. Right, it's hard to get the capital, and you can't move as fast. And there's a lot more restrictions and, yeah, and requirements. You just and, can't do advertising. Well, so people well. that invest with us, I mean, we're not not providing a profit for them. You know, there mm -hmm. are. It's a it's a bottom line where we're providing both a 
a financial and a social return. I was going to ask if the shift to capital name was on purpose. Absolutely. You want to create a shift. Yeah, neighborhood shift. A shift in the neighborhood. And you're not, you know, it's not like a tidal wave. It's not like you're changing the fabric of the neighborhood, mm -hmm. but you're moving the needle. You're making a shift in the right, in a positive direction. And that was very thought through. Absolutely. You, you answered the question I had coming up was what made you want to do a more philanthropic approach to um, yeah. real estate? So my background, I, you know, like I worked for Maya, I joined the Peace Corps, I um, did, I worked for an architect who was doing affordable housing for a while, and then when I came to Philadelphia, I started to sit on the other side of the table and on, on the developer side, and mm -hmm. so I worked for a nonprofit where I was the developer for that nonprofit. So they had gotten a $15 million grant to do some housing and a, a, a preschool and a community center. Mm -hmm. And so I shifted from the design, excuse the pun, from yeah. the design and, and development, design side to the development side. And I was working there when I met Brian. Okay. Um, so talk to me about the Bury building more specifically. Yeah, sure. Um, when will the Bury building be done? Ugh, the question of the hour. <laughs> I cannot stress enough how difficult this project well, is. Well, this is a, a podcast about the future. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a lot of wrong things said on this podcast. Mm -hmm. I have uh, interviewed people. I go, hey, what's it going to be like in the future? And they just go, race riots. Every day there will be race riots. And I go, wow. why do you think that? And he goes, uh, that's what I think. And people, <laughs> so in wow. order, so this, <laughs> I've, I, I have seen pictures of the Bureau building. I've driven past it yeah. recently. Yeah. It seems like there's work to be done. There's a lot of work I would to be call done. It, I, if I had to guess, yeah. I would say human beings will be living in the Bureau building as someone who has nothing to do with the development, who I have nothing to do with it. I'm saying 2036 full occupancy. <gasps> oh, please, no. Can't be that far off. In no. 2036. I don't know how long it takes. No. 18 more years. No. We're close. Closer than we've ever Closer been. Closer than you think. So we have... Well, Jack, you can say your word. <laughs> so, uh, so you Jack can speak. five years. Jack. Um, I was saying... Maybe five to five six? Five, six, eighteen. Years. You know how slow these these. You know how slow well, these I'm projects. Well, three years move. in, and Brian was working on it probably three years before I came. Uh, um, so we're six years in already. So we're yeah. It started in 2012. Right. This building was purchased in 2012. Right. It is 2018. Yeah. 2036 was steep. I couldn't imagine <laughs> getting investors in. Be like, oh, well, we'll return your investment in 22 years. Yeah, not, not, even, yeah, not even. The project so is five years. supported. Has unlike everything else that we're doing, the two million square feet of property that we're developing, that I talked about already. None of that is subsidized. None of that. We did all of that with private investors, which makes it move quickly and cleanly. Yes, it was. I'm very wow. proud We're of that. We're excited about that. That's, um, that is awesome. Yeah, no, it's coming fun, from a city that incredible. pays for all those football stadiums, right. baseball stadiums. <laughs> we pay for that. But it's nice that we're not paying for the boner for every so building. No, I can't say that about the Bureau. Yeah. The Bureau is the polar opposite. Everything else we've done is not subsidized. The Bureau has more acronyms involved that I could, I could, I'll try to go over them mm. all. There's low-income housing tax credits, which will provide affordable housing. There are new market tax credits, which supply the uh, commercial aspect. There are historical tax credits, so we get a bonus for being, um, not bonus, we get dollars for um, renovating the historical building. Um, the Philadelphia Housing Authority is providing vouchers, and so there's support there. Goldman Sachs has provided a grant towards the affordable side, and the city of Philadelphia has provided money. The problem is there is still a gap. The, 
cost of doing a building as iconic and difficult as this is high. And so even with all of the, that support, there's a gap in how much it costs and how much we have available. Well, let's get into the specifics of this building. What is going to be in that building? Um, it's 80 residential units. So 50 of them are affordable and 30 of them are market rate. The market rates ideally will be marketed to graduate students and Temple folks mm -hmm. so that we have <laughs> the market rate piece. And then the 50 affordable, um, there, it's just an income qualification. You don't have to be like elderly or homeless or single mom or and there's yeah. no like qualifications, just 50 affordable units. So there's 30 residential, I mean 80 altogether residential units. And then the first two stories are commercial. So I thought. Yeah. So it's beautiful. When you go in the front door, there's this three story high atrium mm -hmm. that they cut off. Like right now, if you walk in, it's like 10 feet. Mm -hmm. really you kind of like want to lean down feels very low because it's so long mm -hmm. um, but we're going to reopen that and make and restore it to its historical um, vision which was this three-story high atrium with the top is beautiful coffered ceiling mm -hmm. and the columns are um, you know sandstone and terracotta and um, terracotta yeah so mm -hmm. um, the, the idea is to renovate the first two stories as commercial the upper stories as residential the penthouse there's three stories that are quite small they're you know, 2,000 square feet each. Mm -hmm. um, and so those will be, uh, it's undecided, it depends. They could be residential units. So commercial spaces, um, are we talking offices? Or are we talking, um, we don't know yet. Well, that's one of the biggest problems is I can't move to do the deal. Like, no one's going to lend me any money unless I have an anchor tenant in there, right? It's showing that at the end of the deal, I can pay uh, the so rent. So you got to get a company to relocate to Philadelphia. Is it, or, or, some, or someone to grow well, so into. Well, so we have lots of ideas. You know, there's, there, there's the Free Library has expressed interest. They have a branch across the street. Um, and so they uh, have... That's very community-focused. It would be amazing. Um, so that, you know, we've talked to multiple different... Um, bank branches about putting a bank branch there. Yeah. We've talked to the YMCA about putting a fitness center. I was going to say, there would be nothing center. better than a YMCA. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we've talked to multiple different um, I was health providers. So like, worried. I was so worried that you were, I was going to come in here and it was going to be luxury condos that would be obscenely expensive and we were going to put a Gucci store in the bottom. I'm trying to blow right, everyone right, out of the right. city. I don't you, think we're ready for that that neighborhood. Yo, I, no. no, you wanna like I said, there's a lot of voices there. You have you know your state senator, you have your local council person. These people have people voices. The head of all the it. different nonprofit groups, <laughs> they all have a say and they should, right? This is where they live and this has been an anchor dragging down their corner of their neighborhood for decades now. And so they really are interested in it being reactivated and revitalized and becoming a vibrant sort of moving part in the neighborhood that sort of moves the trajectory and moves okay. it ahead. So we're going to guess instead of... Uh... So if anyone's listening and you want to rent at 37... <laughs> <laughs> That's the big thing. Like our laser focus right now is trying to find an anchor tenant to carry the, yeah, the commercial people space. want to live there i want to live the there. residential i'm not worried yeah, about it you at don't all have to. The people residential, are going to want to long. live there and the yeah. commercial i'm sure you'll find it yeah that's a, it's got it's a hard, really, it's got a really great uh, it's got a really great history it's got a really great placement yeah there's nothing to worry about there so building is built and filled in the next five years you're saying Oh, yeah. I think that we'll move to start construction next year, 2019. Okay. And it's probably an 18-month construction, so you're, what, 2020, 2021? 2021, we'll call yeah. it. And then 2021, furnished occupants in by 2023? 
No, if we start construction in 20, let's say we start construction at the end of 2019. Then you're 2020 under construction, 2021 you finish construction. Mm -hmm. By the end of 2021, you have occupancy. So, so, so 2022, January 1st, 2022, we're occupied. Put it in stone. <laughs> <laughs> Quote it. Quote me yeah. on it, she says. I want to get a bonus on the half. <laughs> <laughs> on top, okay, 2022. Ten years after 2022, the building's been renovated. What are your hopes for North Philadelphia? Oh, it's already unfolding. Like, North Philadelphia is going to be a hot spot. I think, you know, Germantown Ave, the Commerce Department, and the Business Association of Germantown Ave has been putting so much focus. They've redone the lights. They've hung banners. They've been redoing the storefronts. I mean, Germantown Avenue and Broad Street are going to be pedestrian-friendly commercial corridors where you have tons of movement happening between uh, commuters coming through that major transportation hub. You're going to have temple people finally like leaving their their fortress and mm -hmm. coming out onto the street, yeah, right? And I really think um, there's a lot of problems down there with the uh, overall attitude towards the neighborhoods. There's not um, a lot of intermingling. They do yeah. their best. Well, yeah, yeah, we were uh, we're two temple students, the graduate oh, really? temple students. But you're at main campus, right? Yes. I'm talking about the hospital. And the oh yeah, I don't school. even know. I don't. That's a whole different world to me. I know right. nothing about that. But they're right there. I mean, you guys are a little bit further south. Temple Hospital is literally a block away, and there's not much interaction. And we are we have great relationship with them. We talk with them often. Um, and I think when we get there, that opening the door and making that connection. Um, between our block and their block is going to really revitalize the street. Like, you need more foot traffic. I mean, I'm actually, there's tons of foot traffic around there. Yes, but um, more more business, more commerce, mm -hmm. more yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, okay, we're, we're coming back. Jack, do you have any questions, comments, concerns? Um, for me, I guess, are, are, is there more of an emphasis as well to get... I don't know if you mentioned, are these for rent? Are they for purchase? They're or? rentals. So it's okay. 80 rentals, um, like I said, 30 market rate and, and 50. Is there a push as well to maybe look for more? I know there are places in Center City that have a lot of like condominiums. Are you also working towards that, maybe trying to get more permanent? Uh, okay, so that no, this will be a rental. Okay. It'll be a rental. Um, the, the building, and I don't want to get too granular, but the building is condoized, but they're in like 30 of them are one condo and 50 of them are one condo. So there's two condos, but they're not individually for sale. It's a rental. Do you, do you, do you foresee people trying to make that more of a permanent fixture on Broad Street, more permanent housing, like that is more renovation wise? I, I know friends yeah. who live in Phoenix and Art Street and stuff like that, and like they're more permanent as I well. I mean, ownership is really important, especially when you're talking about gentrification and you want. Let's just be frank. If you're an owner, you have a different stake in the neighborhood, right? You're more dedicated. You're there for the long term. You want owners. Um, right now, we don't, even in Kensington, we don't do a lot of home ownership, mostly because the comps aren't there. Like, the resale is difficult. Like we put in I so much that, I think a lot like, of reasons why you at least stay rent only for the first decade. I, I can see a lot of reasons for that because you got to show people that, A, this is a nice building. Yeah. This is somewhere where you want to live. Mm -hmm. And then after a few years, once you get your investment back, uh, then maybe you can start selling off condos. But I don't yeah. think short-term that's viable. We're definitely not. I mean, like, I think in the neighborhood, over time, you want to make sure you're growing your home ownership in step with your rentals so that you have some anchor in the neighborhood but no right now it's definitely yeah i know for me i don't I, I know i don't understand you know what would determine uh yeah. rental, you know, what it's also like mindset. some of the financing vehicles have 
obligations that go along with them. Like the low-income housing tax credits have a, I think, 15-year compliance period. So certainly nothing would happen the first 15 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, focusing on the future. Yeah. Have you seen that, right? That's yeah. the future. That's the next bit. That That's where the Checkers is, mm -hmm. next to the Bury. We own that corner where you have an open parking lot and a Checkers. And so ideally, you know, for us, we wanted the Bury to get renovated first before we gave this too much attention, but it is in our pipeline to develop the rest of that block. Mm -hmm. So you really have a full block of commercial with um, with residents, um, you know, occupying and using all the amenities in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So that's, for me, the short-term future is getting the Bury finished and then working on phase two. Long-term future. We're talking 2100. Right. You know more about this city than we do at this table because you have, and you probably have a better insight into this city and the future of this city because you have um, a role in forming it. Um, you have, are doing something that is extremely unprecedented for like the average person. Most people do not get to decide the future of neighborhoods or at least or at least attempt that sure and most of them don't try to do it as consciously as you are saying that you guys are trying to do um so i think that is a really important side of this story talk to me about where you would hope north philly is in the year 2100 and also, and to answer that question, I realize that you kind of has, have to address what the world will be like and what you think about 2100. Kind of wrap it all into one bow, if you could, because I know this is a hard question. I know how we, I've asked, I've asked so many people this question. Yeah, yeah. And everyone, I get flying cars a lot. I get global warming a lot. Some people just, I, don't, I think you can't ignore global warming. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I think that ties into my, what I was thinking. All right, let's hear it. Um, there's been a definite shift in Philadelphia away from car usage. So the city of Philadelphia wasn't really built for cars. The alleyways are this narrow, you know, horse and buggies went down them fine, it's very difficult to drive. But the majority of folks drive. It is a car city today. Mm -hmm. I think that is absolutely going to change. I think in 20, 2100, public transit will have changed and people won't be using cars anymore. I okay. think that even now, when I pull the people in my office who are closer to 20 and further from 40, none of them own cars. They lift, they Uber, they ride their bike. I don't intend to buy a new car when my car dies. People use uh, Zip and Enterprise, they use car shares mm -hmm. when they need a car, but the usage of cars, I think, will decline to a point where public transit will rise and people... and that will drive development. So the transit or development along the transit line will grow strong. I think the Bury ties into that. It's along the Broad Street line. I think everything that has a subway stop near it is going to boom. Uh, and the same with the L, right? You already see, like, so the West overall, you have a positive outlook on the city of Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Because but there I think are it's going to look different, right? You're not going to have, uh, you know, cars. You're not going to have smoke. You're not going to yeah. you know, like, the. Hopefully. You never know. <laughs> yeah, no, you never know. But this is my vision is that I, people are walking, they're healthier, they're biking, roads are more friendly for pedestrians and bikers. I'll say, I guess the mindset would be as you improve the block, there would be that need to improve the public transport. So it's like they intermingle because yeah. as people are coming in, yeah. starting businesses, and they go, 
the subway isn't running on time, the, the subway is gross or something, you know, whatever right. complaints they have, the influx of commerce will have people going, let's invest in it. And is that kind of what you're saying by investing in the property and the neighborhood? All of that will kind of work together, I guess. Right. So we have, like, the Broad Street line is long, strong, and the L is strong, right? So development happens along those lines. And who knows? Maybe, you know, in New York, they added the Second Avenue subway. They dug up a whole new line in the last 10 years. And so maybe Philadelphia will uh, extend its subway system. We, Jack and I, actually, we studied abroad together in the same oh, program. No and we lived in London briefly for four months. That is when I learned about what public transportation could be. Good God, was it's I was I disappointed right? when I realized what people could. We had, we had an Oyster card that got us Zones 1 and Zone 2 for free. So we took it everywhere. And the buses were free for us, too. I don't know how we got those magic cards. But um, there's nothing like that in Philly. And um, there's a study. Uh, it's a peer research study about um, you are significantly, if you grow up in a major city, your rate of success in the future, meaning um, college degree, uh, uh, home ownership, those those things can be tied directly to how how accessible public transportation is, oh, and how far away you live from, from public, public transportation, transportation mm-hmm. and how far you work from public transportation. It's underutilized in the city of Philadelphia. I mean, you can get anywhere you need to go pretty much, but people still like they love their cars. But I think that's going to change. There, are, there are a lot of neighborhoods that are completely neglected by the public transit in the city. Right, Point Breeze, bus. Point Breeze, I, I, the city bike is the, like the only way to do it. City bike, Indigo, Indigo, bike? Indigo bike. Yep. The Indigo bikes are like, those are the best And the bus things. system. No, I don't love the bus, but mm-hmm. people use I've, I've used the bus. Uh, the bus takes too long. I'm too impatient for the bus. And yeah, yeah, school, yeah. the school bus has made me hate the bus. And bed bugs scare me. That's also true. <laughs> um, so 2100, you're saying healthier lifestyle, a booming city. Absolutely. You, I also see a booming city. It... I don't know. And I think a lot of the streets will be closed off to cars, and it'll just be pedestrians. They're talking about open concept. Um, there's this a theory about um, how to fix the streets. Yeah. Because um, there's all these different. You're an architect, so you probably know them much better than I do about uh, planning the middle lanes so that it's for the turn lanes, and then bringing the sidewalks out or something like that. Yeah, so that you can park along the side, and then you have your bike lanes, and you have water retention. Like Philly has a serious water re- water. Distribution uh, uh, retention effort going on, so that's a big part of it. Give me um, biggest problem in two thousand one hundred. Oh my! Um, what is our? What is our? What is the problem? And um, what is something you hope changes by two thousand one hundred? Let's say biggest problem. That's a hard one. I'm always thinking about the good stuff. It is. It is. Um, I always, whenever when people are too positive, when I ask them about the future, I always ask them the negative question to bring them right back down. And whenever people are too negative, I bring them a positive question to bring them back up. I'm not sure. I think that there's a. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's all the problems we have now. There are race relations, there's politics, there's the cost of education. Um, but in 100 years, I'm not really sure. A lot of those things, because uh, I've been doing this, so I obviously think about it in DC yeah. now. A lot of the problems that we have in our society, you can trace through history, and they've always been there in some way or another. It's just about how they show themselves. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know how it's going to show itself because right now, like the issues with like race relations, drugs, blah 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 blah, those in my head mostly come from a place of dishonesty. You know what's going to be the biggest problem? Sorry, let's go. Give it to me. Finish your thought. Finish your thought. I think I think most of them come from a place of dishonesty. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of dishonesty in the overall conversation of the world, like. Why aren't we helping this person? Why are, why is this happening? It's just a lot of people being like, I don't know, it's not my problem, and a lot of hands off. And like I said at the top of the episode, I don't think that the ability to be ignorant or like greedy will be possible for people with million dollar investments. Mm -hmm. I just don't think it's feasible. Right, there will be more obligation. So if we're at a point in time where the demographic shift in this country, it, we're not going to be a majority white country in 20 years, which is fine, I don't care. Um, that's not, whatever. I, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. Um, You're going to move closer to just being one color, exactly. right? There's all kinds so, of things. You know? So right, things will improve, but there will always be strife and anger about the past. So... It depends on, I see a big empathetic wave happening with our culture. I'm way more empathetic than a 23-year-old man in the 60s, I presume. I, I, I'm, I'm a real emotional sad sap, and I'm a, <laughs> a 23-year-old, six-foot-two, like, aggressive Philadelphia. I'm both of those things. Um, so I see the problems changing. My biggest worry is, like, super viruses and overpopulation. But, um... But those aren't... I, I wouldn't expect you to have those fears. The what, fears that, that I thought of was um, privacy. I think privacy is on, on the way out. <laughs> you know, I, I think people don't care about it as much because they don't realize how important it is and that at a certain point it will be too late and very difficult to rein in. But I think we've already traded in a lot of our privacy and I think that over time that is going to be an increasing problem. And so I do think by... 2100, there will be less expectation for privacy because you won't have any. Yeah, people being born today <laughs> have yeah. a different expectation for what privacy is than I do, and I do have a different expectation of privacy than you do. It, it's it, the the generation gaps always freak me out because I've I've said this in other episodes, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to harp on it for too long. Um, the generation gaps are closing. Like Jack, how old are you? I am 22. You're 22. I'm 23. Um, someone who is 15 is not going to have anything in common with us. And they're going to be in our generation, but they're, they grew up with the internet in their hand at six. Mm -hmm. We didn't get the internet in our hands until we were 18. Right. Our brains are fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. And then God knows what uh, the person who's 15, what uh, a five-year-old or a 10-year-old, what they're going to be like. And then the people who aren't born yet. Right. I think those... And I mean, you can always say that they were huge strides between every generation but with this stride what the internet has done you know is very specific to right now and privacy is is on the is being attacked okay well it has been amazing talking to you is there anything that you would like to say about the bureau building that we have not discussed um no, I mean, it's. I think the importance of the historical piece is very exciting, you know, because it's on the registry, it'll be restored, and so the face of it and the top, all the ornate Art Deco aspects of it will be maintained. We're talking about, the roof is missing, as of right now, like, the roof is just gone, and so when we were up there, um, one of our associates, Greg Reeves, kind of looked up, and you can see all the structural beams, but it's open between the beams, and he was kind of like, why don't we leave that open and make a terrace up here? 
And so I think we're going to do that. This is in the plans now. And so there will be the opportunity to be at the top of the building and look over the city and see the sky at the same time, which I really just think is unique and special. And I look forward to the day that it's done and occupied and people can come to the top and look out and say, wow, this is, this is a great space. Final question. Um, if there is anything that you would like to say to the people of 2100, about you, about your life, anything. We give you free range, complete creative <laughs> control. Oh, I should have prepared something. I didn't know this was the line of thought. Pretty much, um, pretty much. What would you like your legacy to be? <laughs> no, uh, no. What, what would you like to say to the people? Yeah. Um, health, wealth, and happiness to you people of 2100. <laughs> I bless, you know, may you... Um, Live large and, and many blessings to you. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much. This has been great. I'm in town, party's going down. Shoot them down with a 50 round. Run the town, rolling on you at about. I think it's pretty obvious why I did this episode. It's because for years, I drove past a building with the word boner draped along both sides. And I wanted to pass that goofy memory on and maybe find out some stuff along the way. The story of the Boner Forever building is a story about the failure of a city to maintain itself. It's a story about poverty, capitalism, rebellion, and stupidity. Philadelphia is the poorest big city in America. There is a massive homeless population while there is simultaneously a ton of abandoned buildings and houses. And that is some of the hypocrisy that we're forced to live in. What was once an empty vessel for decades will now become the homes of thousands of tenants. A place where families will be made. People will rush to work, make grilled cheeses, and watch their favorite shows. And I can't pretend to know if Shift Capital is the real deal. I don't know if they're evil or if they're nice, but they told me they're nice and I can do nothing more than take them at face value. I can't pretend to know if major cities will still be sustainable into 2100 or if the climate will allow for a building the size of the Boner Forever building in the year 2100. What I can say is that the Boner Forever situation is a one-of-a-kind moment in history that I'm very happy to preserve. After much research, I've come to learn that Boner and Forever are two graffiti artists or taggers that collaborated on this stunt. Boner, otherwise known as B1er, has a signature tag that is big, fat, rounded balloon letters spelling out the word Boner with a signature B. To the people of 2019 and to the two people of 2100, make whatever you want of this episode. Think whatever, have a happy 2100, and Boner forever. Special thanks to Maria Sauerbeer and Jack Barron. Extensive thanks to Dylan Hale and for making the Boner Forever music, Ben Volano for making my theme music, Arrested Development, and Juice World. Bona forever, bona forever, bona forever, bona forever, give it to me. Yeah. Bona forever, bona forever, bona forever.
bona forever, bona forever.